You did. You did. Oh, so this oh. this is it. So this Joe's is it. turn this is, is it, right? Turn. Oh my goodness, pestilence. That's a keeper. Yeah. <laughs> you almost want to keep that whole roll and just. Good thing I got medicine. <laughs> Don't let Ed win, man. Roll another. <laughs> Sacrifice yourself. Oh, but I, do I still get the goods? Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we construct wonders and build our civilizations on the backs of wooden dice and roll through the ages. Next up, we bludgeon brutal beasts and battle the Blight Lord in Beneath Nexus. And lastly, we hammer our way from Sacramento to St. Louis, and it's not over until we drive The Last Spike. I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, and not all who wander are lost. Hi, I'm Ed Povolitis, and I just reached a stirrup. It's time to rule the world with knights. I'm Joe Unfried, and I'm very, very happy to be here with all of you. Hey there, I'm Rob Collagian, and you can call me Rob Collagian. <laughs> Speaking of which, <laughs> as you've just heard, we have a guest panelist this week because Evan is still on a tour across the pond promoting his new book, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, How to Know What's Really Real in a World Increasingly Full of Fake. And while he's off with his Skeptic's crew, we are delighted Delighted to have the really real Rob Kalajian from A Pawn's Perspective. Rob, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of the show and I'm excited to be here with all of you. <laughs> Rob, when we started this podcast and got deeply into the gaming world, you were one of the first people we bumped into. I think one, because we're both local to the uh, New England area, and two, because you are so heavily involved. What have you been up to lately? Lately, uh, well, we both were just at uh, Boston Fig, um, sure so were. that was kind of the the last thing I did. Uh, I helped judge the family gaming category for the Figgies, which are the awards they hand out. Um, it's the second year they've they've had me now, um, and it's kind of cool because I get to to see some of the games and and help pick the winner, and then I get to actually uh, present the award at their little award show at the end of the day. That is so cool. We did not get a chance to stick around for the awards. How did it go? It went really well. Um, they, and I forget the guy's name, but they had a very good uh, MC who um, is an NPR host for a show about kind of um, fantasy worlds. Uh, he was just, he was very professional, made, made all of us presenters look like a, a bunch of schmoes up there. <laughs> um, no, but it was, it was a really good time. Very professional uh, very nice to to see the surprise in the winner's eyes, be able to shake their hands, and uh, no, it was a great time. These game designers work so hard. It it must have been great to see some of them rewarded that way. So, Rob, one of the things we do when we have guests or when we're interviewing is we ask about first games. So, we wanted to ask you if you had a group of completely new people that you hadn't met before and you're about to sit down for a game, what would be the first game you pull out? Normally, I would probably go with, with Ticket to Ride. Uh, mm -hmm. But lately, um, I've finally gotten a, a chance to play Azul. And I think I might go with, with that one now for a brand new gamer. Oh, yeah. those are both good games. <laughs> yeah. I could totally see how Azul would be attractive for that reason. 
Yeah, it's one of those kind of games where like new gamers and like experienced gamers both really get into it. And plus, just the feel of the tiles. Playing with tiles is just so good. Right, those tiles, they just they feel great. They got a good sound when they clack together. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very simple game of just grabbing grabbing tiles. I yep, mean, it's yeah. it's really easy to, to tell people, you're just going to grab some tiles on your turn, uh, and we'll take it from there. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Rob. We are glad to have you. Let's get started. Our first game up this week is Roll Through the Ages – the Bronze Age, designed by Matt Leacock, published by Eagle Griffin Games in 2008. Number of players, one to four, ages eight and up. Runtime, 30 to 45 minutes. Let's start with Joe. Joe, what did you think? There's a lot of reasons why I like this game. The rules are simple enough to offer you a wide range of strategic choices with a strong tendency for that range of choices to get even wider as you go. It was conceived by Matt Leacock, who also designed Pandemic. And Ed, how about you? Hmm, these workers are nice, but I like to roll up a bit of food so we don't starve. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Mike, how about you? More workers, please. I have monuments to build. <laughs> and Rob, how about you? Uh, it's a rolling right with wooden pegs. I'm in. <laughs> yep, keep them rolling. One of the most engaging ways to arrange essentially a dice marking off game that I have seen. But before we get started, Joe, you brought this game to the table. Tell us a little bit about how it's played. Your die rolls get you coins, labor, or food to help you build and prosper. You have multiple viable strategies. Building monuments scores your points. Building more cities lets you roll more dice. Focusing on scientific developments gets you chances to re-roll, make your die rolls more productive, or maybe avoid disasters. Okay. And it is pretty much that simple. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> despite, despite it being simple... Um, or maybe, you know, because it was simple, uh, with simple pictures on wood and paper, I was immersed right away. Yeah, I mean, large wood dice. It sounds like an odd choice, but they feel so good to roll. <laughs> they really oh, yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. If you're the kind of person that wants things to be perfect, uh, wooden dice are probably not the way to go. <laughs> They're not <laughs> perfectly <laughs> balanced or anything. Uh, but it doesn't no. matter because you're rolling a fistful of them. Yeah, and, and it just goes with the aesthetic of everything in the box. I mean, this box is a small box. But it's jam-packed with stuff. It's awesome. You're not mm-hmm. disappointed, like, opening up and seeing a box of empty space. It got these wooden pegboards. <laughs> About the wooden pegboard, I'd like to mention the game's accessibility. The pegs are basically, for lack of a better word, pegged to their row on there. So you could be colorblind and screw them all up on the multicolored sets, and they would still work perfectly fine. The other thing that I saw online was uh, some of the sets have plastic dice that are colored. I would much rather play with the wooden dice than the Me plastic too. ones, specifically because of the you know genre and it fits better. Yeah, they had like a like a rustic feel to them, you know, like old school, like paper and wood and stuff like that. So and we're and supposed it, to be in the Bronze Age, so maybe we didn't have paper yet, but it still felt like more towards the theme. It yeah. adds a good amount of, of heft. I mean, it's a deceptively small box, and when you pick mm-hmm. it up, it's it's heavier than you expect, and it, it kind of makes it feel just a bit like it's more than a, a roll and right. I mean, you could play this mm-hmm. game with a pencil and paper and a handful of dice, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it did remind me a little bit of maybe like Fred Flintstone picking up a, a block of stone and using it as a you know, notepad because the pad of paper actually accounts for a lot of the weight of the box, which is considerable. I really enjoyed having that little sheet to mark off. 
There were nice little pictures of the pyramids and or the monuments that you had to build. There was it was very cleanly laid out. The sheet was very organized in a way, you know, that I'm not particularly academically minded. It was very simple for mm -hmm. me to to see where everything goes very quickly and I appreciated that. And it looked nice. Yeah, and the papers are double sided too, so you can kind of like archive your old games and reuse oh, I didn't the papers. Know that. Yeah. Well, so I, it was funny because Ed gave me back one of my old papers from an older game, and I used the flip side. And on one side was my highest score I'd ever had, and in this game here, the other side was my lowest score ever. <laughs> <laughs> I had three points at the end of the game. My other high score was forty-one points. <laughs> now, it captures the essence of incrementally improving your nation's power and the lot of its inhabitants in a way that's just as satisfying as complex simulations mm -hmm. mm. it's a nice boil down and it's uh it kind of captures that that feel of of game design of just strip it down to the fun mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a lot of fun you feel like you're you're really building up uh, and it's just as simple as like like i said you know some dice rolls some pegs and 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 some pencil and paper yeah, and anybody yeah. who's played Civ before, like the other Civ games, knows how really complicated it can get. But this one gives you the same kind of payoff in a lot of ways that the more complicated Civ games do. Yeah, with le with less time. Mm -hmm. A lot less time, which I appreciate. <laughs> what we need now is an upgrade set of bronze dice. Yeah. <laughs> like hammered-looking <laughs> bronze dice. I want them to look really rustic, though. No polish, nothing like that. <clears throat> Just came out of the fire. <laughs> <laughs> and this way when you get the uh the uh, um expansions at the iron age you'll have iron dice in there that box is going to be heavy to deliver <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a bold choice for a company to put it in such a small box because people sometimes will think they're getting less value if they have a smaller box yeah i agree but i think the minute you pick it up and feel how heavy it is and you do i feel like you get real quality for the price in the game one of the strategies that's pretty strong is to get your cities built up first um, yeah because that gives you more dice to roll and gives you more possible outcomes for each round um, which you know it, it is a strong strategy but ed found a way to counter it by uh shutting me down um quickly by getting five developments yeah um, that's one of the things i noticed is that the there does seem to be a standard path of trying to get as many cities and rolling dice as soon as possible but I, all i got was a bunch of goods and i was like well I know where I can do it good and money by developments. Mm -hmm. So I pretty much I ended the game in like about six turns because I think there was only one turn I didn't build a development. And it's a good thing you did too because I was about to pick up like 20 points in the next turn. <laughs> yeah, well timed. <laughs> I wish it didn't end with just five developments though because you only get to use four of them once you play the fifth one, it's over. It kind of doesn't give you a, enough chance for the kind of combos I want to do with getting different developments that have synergy with each other. Does it behave like you say Euro games do, where it stops just about the time you're getting your engine rolling? Uh, it can. Uh, this game has the both modes, you know, where it can either go into hyperspeed mode where you just build all the monuments, or it can go into like the Euro game mode where you're frustrated by just getting your engine rolling and then the game stops. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I tend to build developments quickly. Mm -hmm. Well, I think other players would be play more like you where you're trying to build up your cities and, and trying to build as many monuments as you can. I've seen mm -hmm. games go where you no, know, the game ends when all the monuments are built. That's how I got that 41-point score the last right. time. It's one of, I think, the hallmarks when you can play a game in different ways. I was shocked at how many choices there were. You, you roll your dice and you look at them and say, well, do I really want to re-roll these? And then you can choose which one mm -hmm. to re-roll and after three rolls, you're done. But 
No, the neat thing is the the, the disaster side. Yeah. No, when you get no, they're bad usually, but when you get exactly three of them, you can put the pain on the opponent. <laughs> right. So there's all kinds of like potential risks to take, which I love games which allow you to risk take. I mean, I don't have, we won't tell them what I did yet. That that'll work. That'll work. Whoa, worker madness. Um, I kind of want to keep all these workers. 12 workers. This is a game with a handful of dice and a sheet of paper. And there were so many choices. Do I decide to work on a monument or do I pick a development? And then which development do I pick? And then, yeah, it doesn't feel that overwhelming, though, even with all those choices. No, it doesn't. I'd love to try the uh, Iron Age version of the game or maybe even the late Bronze Age version of the game, uh, which allows shipping. I actually, uh, I didn't even know there were two more versions of the game, so I'm definitely going to have to check those out now. Yeah, me too. I definitely want to see them. I love this game. Okay, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Roll Through the Ages, the Bronze Age. Joe, how about you? I can't wait for other adaptations of this game to other historical eras, and I'm digging this up like the unexpected treasure it is. And Rob, how about you? Uh, A beautifully produced game that's fun. I can play it solo, and it looks amazing on the table. Dig it up. Ed, how about you? A light game where you can roll up a sieve in about 30 minutes. Dig it up. And Mike, how about you? It's easy to teach, easy to set up, and it has a lot of fun and interesting strategies to explore. So I say dig it up. Yep, really nice looking and rolling dice to win the world. Totally dig it up. (laughs) Joe, where can you find it? Uh, I saw it on boardgameco.com at 24.15. It's (laughs) $24.15. $0.15. And different ages of the game for $40 to $70 at online resellers. Wow, how interesting. Oh, some, is it, I wonder, is it out of print? It is out of print currently. Okay, if you have thoughts about Roll Through the Ages, the Bronze Age, give us a shout. We would love to hear from you. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Which Game First. Our next game up this week is Beneath Nexus, designed by Tom Panico and Chris Visco, published by Silver Clutch Games in 2016. Number of players, three to six, ages 12 and up, runtime, 60 to 90 minutes. Let's start with Ed. Ed, what did you think? Who dare enter the realm of Ariah? No matter, the blight will find you soon enough. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, how about you? Maybe we should have chosen our party by their abilities instead of the coolness of their names. (laughs) Yeah, but come on. Batar is an awesome name. (laughs) And Joe, how about you? I was a little dismayed at the word Nexus being in the title. It's just about the most generic all-purpose word I can think of in the entire fantasy genre. However, (laughs) I was blown away by the enchanting illustrations of the six PCs included with the game. They included references to several real-world cultures, but were done in ways I found refreshingly new, not at all Arthurian or Tolkien-esque. And Rob, how about you? I found this one at PAX Unplugged last year and just was immediately drawn in by the amazing artwork And the overall idea of a quick dungeon crawl played with cards. That is exactly what I said when I met these guys at the Boston Fig. Wow, a fast-paced card dungeon crawl. Uh, I was extremely excited to try it out, and they were nice enough to give us a review copy at the Fig. And so here we are. But before we get started, Mike, tell us a little bit about how it's played. In Beneath Nexus, heroes square off against a powerful Blight Lord. 
Each hero starts by choosing a character with a passive ability, a default action, and a unique deck of spells, actions, and reactions. Heroes each take one action in turn order, which is determined by their speed rating. But before each of the heroes turns, the player-controlled Blightlord takes their turn. The Blightlord gets to choose among several unique boss villains. They get one action per hero and start by summoning one monster per hero. Their turn works similarly to the hero turn, with the addition of several potential actions to choose from determined by the monsters they summoned. Heroes must battle their way through two randomly chosen scenarios and then face the Blightlord himself for the final battle. There you go, Ed. You got it. (laughs) If a hero dies, they return at the beginning of the next scenario with six health and an empty hand of cards. If all heroes die in the same scenario, they lose. If they can somehow destroy the Blightlord, they win. Fools! (laughs) Fools! <laughs> you can tell who played the Blight Lord in this particular. In scenario. our case, indeed, we were fools. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, we made Ed play the Blight Lord because it looked mm-hmm. like the most complicated thing to do. So he had to do it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Rob, yeah. have you played the Blight Lord or only Heroes? I have only played the Blight Lord. Um, <laughs> Ooh, um, yeah. come join the dark side. We have cookies. In games where there's a a villain player, especially since I play a lot with, with my kids, um, I'm generally stuck as, as the bad guy, just as yeah. in like Dungeons and Dragons, I have to be the DM. So I always, uh, I always have the luxury of being the bad guy. Nice. <laughs> Would you call it a luxury, Ed? <laughs> oh, uh, I enjoyed it. Well, you certainly had more choices than the rest of us. Um, I, I did feel a little bit limited. I, I like that each hero got its own icon. That was pretty cool. And its own deck of cards that was exclusive to them. You know, it's an instant character. And mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that part a lot. That made it easy to get right into it. Yeah, the heroes are definitely built to have a bunch of synergy and combos within their uh, deck. Joe was telling me he was looking at the Kickstarter today from, you know, back when they had it. And he was saying that on the Kickstarter, they said you should use the heroes in certain combinations. I don't recall seeing that in the in the published rules. Right. So I wonder if they changed the balance around a little bit by the time they got to these rules. Mm -hmm. Each one of these characters has unique powers, that's for sure. And they're played in very unique ways. So one thing it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like we were too similar. Yeah, we definitely all had a different play style for sure. I think one advantage I have, if the Blight Lord, I knew how to make my deck shine a little faster than you. I was able to wind you down a little bit before you guys got your foot in. Yeah, Yeah, and the the Blight Lord that you played had a kind of a debuffing feel to him where we were discarding and taking damage for discarding cards so we didn't have as many options against you well i think the, the main thing is my blight lord was a bit of a foil to the, the to the character select play because her power triggered off a discard in order to help <laughs> her just cycle the deck faster but right. my passive power was chipping away at her out of her health just for doing her cool thick it was tough because it, it limited what i could do for discarding uh, Rob, mm-hmm. did you feel like you had a ton of options when you play the Blight Lord? I did, especially when you kind of get to the like the boss encounter itself. Once you, you've made your way through the dungeons, uh, the Blight Lords seem to open up a lot more. Uh, but even during play, yeah, they've got a they've got a good amount of choices. Um, each Blight Lord plays fairly differently, which is nice. So there's definitely different strategies. The more you play as a a Blight Lord, you figure out which one of these kind of boss monsters really 
fits your play style, mm-hmm. uh, which is really kind of cool. Uh, so you, you start to learn, you start to become a more dangerous opponent to the players. <laughs> I'm sure. <Yeah. laughs> but hopefully your players are getting better at playing their decks at the same time. <laughs> no, yeah. no. Hopefully they're or- not. Because the Blight Lord needs to always win. You're, don't talk as a Blight Lord here. <laughs> wait, let's see. Bl- wait, the Blight Lord chooses... Oh, only one Blight Lord. He chooses character. one Blight Lord to use. And takes that character's corresponding deck. Oh, wait, so let's Oh, pick- so he gets to pick... Can we pick your Blight Lord? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it's like, no, no way. No way. Hey. Can you pick your Blight Lord first so we can decide which party you're going <laughs> Actually, we, it looks like we pick first. <laughs> Great. You know, the, the majority of the art in this game is on the Blight Lord's side. The player deck doesn't have a lot of art. We have our nice, oversized art on our character card, but that's about it. All of our cards just have our symbol on them and then what they do. All of the pictures are focused on the monsters and the bad guys, and and that's cool. But unfortunately, I had trouble seeing them and paying much attention to them because they were over there by the Blight Lord. Right. And it's kind of hard for us to see what monsters are there with how small it is because, uh, you know, it is really important for the players to focus down the ones that are causing the most harm to the party uh, first. Well, just like I think in, say, like magic, you know, you play magic. At first, you have to read every card closely and figure out what it does. But eventually, you get to the point where you see that art, you know what it is by heart. Like, oh, I know what that is. I have to die first. The one thing that did help, though, was with telling the strength of the monsters is that they have these little cards to keep track of hit points for the players and for the monsters. And you just kind of slide them under the card and slide them up as your hit points decline. That worked well. The sliders yeah, cool. worked really well. Yeah. So um, when a monster has a short card underneath it, you can tell, oh, that thing is still in really good health. But when the card is slid way up, you're like, that guy's on death's door. I like that a lot. You know, one thing I wish they had more of in this game w- would be a little bit of backstory for each character. So I think a sentence or two would help in both immersion and balancing the group. Like if there was only three players, which characters would balance well together? Yeah, we kind of played a mage and uh, a healer and kind of a commander slash archer character together, which which isn't isn't terrible, but we didn't have like a beefy warrior type to uh, really take some of the hits. All right, I'm going with Varen. I choose Varen. Okay, I want to play Lunja or Lunja. She's a lunja. She likes to lunge. Lunja. Right, lunja and Varen are taken. We're going to be dead. We're going to die so hard if somebody doesn't take Loak or Batar. Somebody needs to take Toad. There are definitely some combinations that feel like, um, at least, like I said, playing as a Blight Lord that put more pressure on me uh, than than others. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I was going to ask what, what combinations you found found to be particularly uh, worrisome for the mortal fools. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, there's the there's the warriors. There's kind of like the Islander looking dude with all the tattoos. Toa. Yeah. yeah. Or the Highlander guy. Combining basically that warrior slash tank with, you know, a caster and a healer. I mean, a healer is is always troublesome, but they're not too bad if they don't kind of have a character with some power to keep them safe because they're squishy, uh, as they should be. Um, Mm -hmm. But then, especially when you have a character that can can both deal and take some hits and then can be healed, it's it's pretty nasty um, if you've chosen the right, you know, if you haven't chosen the right monster to go against them. Um, or, you know, the right overlord, it could be a, a tougher game. 
I, I feel like the Blight Lord can really slaughter a single target. You know, if there's five players, the Blight Lord will have five actions and they can focus all five of them on one player and kind of crush them really quickly. Yeah, but I think that only goes so far because, yeah, if you focus fire one guy to get him down fast, but the mm -hmm. the others uh, you know, get through the encounter, they come back with six hit points. Seems to me just, you know, metagaming it a little bit more. It's better to whittle them down slowly and then in the final turn just go bam, 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 take him out. I'm not really talking about the actual winning strategy for the Blightlord. I'm really talking more about the enjoyment of a single player if the Blightlord chooses to just crush him in round one before they even get a turn. It would be kind of frustrating. Uh, it's definitely a game where the players do need to to really work together and try to find the synergies between each of their abilities and items and how to divvy up kind of, of magic items as they come through. Uh, if one player is just like, hey, I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to try to just plow my way through everything, they're going to have a really bad time. <laughs> I find a game like this is probably almost impossible to evenly balanced but i think that some of the imbalance is what makes it fun seeing a combo really take off or you know doing something really epic i mean it's an asymmetric game and i i know that mm -hmm. just refers to how the players are split up among the two sides unevenly in terms of the numbers of players but i mean it's an, it's inevitable that you're going to have power imbalances that show up you know in certain situations that nobody saw coming mm -hmm. yeah i think that's one of the things i think the actions are relatively balanced among sides that each side has the same number of actions of monsters which is equal yeah. to the number of heroes that are there but there's a little bit of screeniness in the combinations of spells abilities or monsters that are available at that particular time so if you have the right combination of abilities in all the players hand you guys can come up with a great combo but if you don't have quite that combination, it might not be as effective. And I think it's the same thing for the Blight Lord. I mean, you expect variance in a dungeon crawl, which implies venturing into the dangerous unknown. There are there are definitely games too where it it does feel crazy unbalanced, where you know the Blight Lord just gets the right combinations of things to destroy the heroes, or the heroes really just not only are they playing well together, but the right things come up at the right times, they get the right items, and it is impossible for the Blight Lord to win. But I feel like it's it's few and far between. You know, most of the time there's a nice, almost like a tug of war between the sides. Mm -hmm. But of course, it is always satisfying when the players lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's an interesting point, actually, that I hadn't considered, which is sometimes, you know, you are going into the unknown and it can be crazy unbalanced in there. When you play a dungeon crawl in D&D, for example, it's nice to get a nice surprise. Once in a while, you get an easy dungeon or once in a while, holy cow, I just walked into something way over my head. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it worked out kind of like that even in our game where I was doing fairly well for the most part. But I think on the, like, the second round, you guys started hitting me with the combos I didn't expect it. Like I, mm -hmm. I was looking at my card, ooh, I'm going to play this and that. And then I think, actually, Celeste, I think it was you. It's like, oh, discard my whole hand. I'm like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my whole hand? All right. Yeah, it's like I, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do after that because I had no counter to that at the time. Yep. I didn't think that the Blight Lords, um, the ability to make the Blight Lord discard cards was that strong because they get to just fill their hand back up on their next turn. But after seeing that happen to you, I realized that it's a really strong uh, thing to be able to do. Yeah. Yeah. After a few plays and you get used to things, I mean, the game says kind of like a 60 minute minimum. Um, you can get it down to like a good solid 45 once you know the rules. All the players are familiar. Mm hmm. 
Okay, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury beneath Nexus. Ed, how about you? A dungeon crawl game with cool art and interesting characters, but also plays in about 90 minutes? Dig it up. Joe, how about you? While I like RPG dungeon crawls, it's interesting to have a diceless one with this level of speed and structure. You might not know what lurks beyond the next corner, but you always know what's going on. This should be dug up. And Rob, how about you? Dig it up. This game belongs above Nexus, not beneath it. (laughs) (laughs) Mike? I want to see more, and there's a lot more to be seen, so dig it up. You know, I'm going to agree with Mike. I I was frustrated with the character that I played, but I definitely see the opportunity for more to happen with more plays. So I want to do it again. Dig it up. Mike, where can you find this game? This game is about 45 bucks, and you can find it online from the publisher or some other online stores as well. And that, that would be silverclutchgames.com. And our last game up this week is The Last Spike, designed by Tom Dalglish, published by Columbia Games in 2015, number of players 2 to 6, ages 10 and up, runtime 45 minutes. Let's start with Rob. Rob, what did you think? A Columbia block game with a train theme? Finally a game I can beat my kids at. Oh, wait, (laughs) no, they still won. (laughs) Joe, how about you? Following the steps of rail barons like Holiday, Harriman, and Stanford, and Crocker. Footsteps tinged with gold, grease, coal, and other stuff. Will you end up the governor of California or dead in a ditch on the streets of Laramie? Play and find out. Mike, how about you? Apparently making money in the railroad speculation biz is not my forte. Ed, how about you? Why build the Denver when you can build to lovely El Paso? The barbecue is good there, I heard. I gotta say, I really felt the pressure of the race in this game. And I was impressed, considering the board is so simple. But before we get started, Ed, you brought this game to the table. Tell us a little bit about how it's played. The player cooperate to build a continuous railway from St. Louis to Sacramento, while competing to accumulate the most money from land speculation before the last spike is laid. Each player has a hand of four track tiles, each showing a particular location. On a turn, the player places one of their tiles, paying the cost. After placing a tile, the player may purchase one land deed for the city. Whenever two cities are connected, every deed for those two cities gets paid from the bank. When a player places the tile that creates a continuous track from St. Louis to Sacramento, that player receives a $20,000 bonus. And then the game ends. (laughs) Whoever has the most cash wins. I mean, it's simple. I'll give it that. And the board reflects that. It's just a series of sort of letters and numbers where you will lay your track. Ed, you are such a fan of train games. Yeah. Hmm. What did you like about this game? What attracted you to it? There's a strategy of where you place the tiles is going to be a very interesting decision because you can own the whole track. But if no one helps you and you're missing a tile, you need help. So you oh. might buy all this land that never gets paid if no one helps you. Ah, uh, yep. That's exactly what happens to you. It totally happened to me. I thought this game was going to be too simple because there's only one tile you can place in each square. There's a D4 square there, and you have to place the D4 tile there. And if you don't have the D4 tile, and you you build everything else in that D line, and you're stuck not being able to complete your track because somebody's sitting on D4... 
you're really messed up. Yeah. So I did find it was a heavily a blocking game. Yeah, I felt really hamstrung by the set of tiles that I actually drew, too. Like, it just didn't feel like I had any control over what was going to happen in this game. Well, that said, I found the simplicity, even though blocking was easy. I felt, mm-hmm. you know, eventually you got to lay tile. I mean, yeah. eventually somebody's going to have to give up that precious one they're blocking with. I wish that was true. Unfortunately, <laughs> you held on to it for dear life. Because it's a game of chicken. I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's my fault kind of for putting all my eggs in one basket and relying on you to eventually put that tile down. Well, I found that part exciting. <laughs> I could sit on this. I could sit on this tile. But I'm, am I screwing myself more than the other people by sitting on this? So, the answer? Yes. Yeah. Essentially, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a real fine balance, you know, of when it's time to put your tile out if you're if you're keeping a block tile. And I found that exciting. Pay out that A4, Ed. Pay out that A4. A4. Yeah, Ed's been sitting on the A4. He, you know, he wants it to play. That's what I'm saying. He has not been sitting on the A4. Where is the B1? Mm-hmm. I agree. Where is yeah, that? Where is the, the B1? I'll give you $5,000 to play it. Ed said you weren't allowed to bribe people. Yeah, I agree. Because you want to see where other people are going. Not so that you can go somewhere else and be alone, but... So you can go in and join him. This way you can build that route quickly and make sure we get our money. The choices here are are really tough because like you said, do I place that tile? Do I not? Do I block somebody? Do I help somebody and and maybe get them some money, but in the long run, it's going to get me more money? That's one of my favorite parts about this game. It's a combination of which deeds you own and which track am I going to lay to get there? And is that track going to benefit me better because I have a deed that's going to pay me or is it going to benefit the other guy better because he's got a more expensive deed or a more valuable deed? Well, that's why you want to go to El Paso. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a balance, but in that combination, there's so much to think about. And I like that a lot. It's not overwhelming. It's just enough. I actually held off playing this game for a while um, because I'm familiar with with Columbia games. Uh, I own a few like uh, Julius Caesar, Wizard Kings, and Hammer of the Scots. Um, and they are the kind of games that have rule sets that are numbered, you know, section 10, yes. section 10.1, <laughs> section yes. 10.2. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, I got to play this eventually. And once I started reading the rules, I'm like, I could play this with the kids really easily. And it was, it was a very, a very light game. I mean, it's, it's just as mm-hmm. simple as, you know, take your tiles, place your tiles, get your deeds, get your money. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised, but then again, there are those decisions to make, which keep it interesting for kind of the older crowd. Yeah. It seems that while you're stuck with the tiles that you get from your random draws and you can't choose where you lay them down, the order you play them in has a lot Mm -hmm. of effect on how rich you get. You have basically the four choices that you have in front of you. There are four tiles. You have to place one of them. And then which one is going to benefit me eventually? Yeah. And part of the strategy is kind of looking at what land deeds people are buying so you can tell what they're working towards and kind of block that or or enhance it and join in on them if you think they're going to be successful. I kind of like my railroad games to be more windy and chaotic looking like a real railroad is. But this one is, I think, personally, overly symmetrical. It didn't feel like a train game to me. It is a straight up diamond. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. And let's let's just say it. This is not world's prettiest game. And that is one of the things that initially put me off about it before I realized, you know, it's general elegance. 
it's got an okay map, but laid on top of it is this grid of um, squares that just say the number of the tile. And all that's there to represent the city is essentially just a circle with some dots in it and the name of the city. And I think it could be a turnoff for people who are, you know, worried that it's going to be dull. I think the map has a, a fair amount of texture to it. You can see the mountains and the rivers and the, the railroad themed art along the edges. It looked cool. <laughs> Ed, <laughs> you're, gener- <laughs> you're a generous guy who loves train games. Well, yeah. <laughs> it is kind of neat that you can see where the mountains are and, and that sort of thing. And there's enough going on here, but I just don't want people to think it's dull just because the look of it is a sort of a simple graph layout. Mm-hmm. I think it was a risky a risky choice of a game for, for Columbia to release because they're they're one of those companies that you know i think they make their money from their their fan base right Mm -hmm. so the 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 block war gamers generally uh this feels like a more a game for a larger audience but it still looks like a game from from their lineup it's hard to tell how they were trying to to market this one like i i think the great the game is a lot of fun Uh, but if i were just to see this on the shelf, like I said, I initially held off because thinking mm-hmm. Columbia and Blocks, I thought it was going to be a little bit more complicated. And the board did nothing yeah. to allay that concern. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Would, you, would you say that train games are as much of a niche as war games are? I think so. It paid off for them in some degree because they actually got noticed and won the award for 2016 Mensa Select game. Oh, I thought you were going to say Spiel de Jahres. <laughs> <laughs> Spiel de Jahres. No, I don't want to Spiel de Jahres. But uh, still, Mensa Select is a great honor. It's better than it looks. I don't know if that's a great thing to say. To me, the kind of balance it had was a a more boring, obvious type of balance where the numbers just break down perfectly evenly in a way. I kind of like a more of a a not so obvious balance of math in a game like this. I don't think I've ever said that about a game but that's that's interesting i usually don't i usually like it to be well balanced saying that a game has too much balance that that is a rare criticism but i can i can see where you're coming from with that i I thought it's just uh, interesting because the the route you can take really depended on not what the uh the location is but what people do with those locations right yeah the human factor in this game is makes it interesting the real reward it can depend on what group as the players do and i think that is what makes the game interesting to me but the players are only afforded so many choices you know what i mean i liked it though i i I found it exciting to the end because yes you're limited in your choices but that's kind of the thing that's part of the you know that's part of the strategy it's like oh what am i you know when is the moment and i think the decisions get more impactful towards the end. Like at first it's like you're not sure, you don't know where people are going, so you're just putting them it seems like it's not many options, but near the end, you know, you're gonna have to complete routes. It's like I'm gonna either complete that route or I'm gonna complete this route. And it's the tension build because it gets very impactful. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't feel that level of commitment or excitement to <laughs> as much as you did. I mean, it's right to the very end. Cause the last tile you place down is 20 grand. I mean, that's a yeah. big chunk of change. That's a big decision to make, yeah. Now, uh, the golden spike. It's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury the last spike. Mike, how about you? This game didn't really evoke the feel I look for in this type of game, but it's a decent warm-up and kind of a filler game. I think it's worth a try for most groups, but in the end, for me personally, I'd say bury it, but just barely. Joe, what do you say? 
Uh, it's not my favorite, but it's good for a group who wants a game that's easy to learn, quick to play. So on that basis, I dig it up. And Rob, how about you? Simple rules, blocks, trains, dig it up. <laughs> Ed, how about you? The game is easy to learn, quick to play, and you'll often need help from others to earn cash. Dig it up quickly as we race for the golden bike. <laughs> yeah, uh, I loved I loved the pacing. I felt it was uh, speedy and suspenseful. So I'm going to say dig it up. Ed, where can you find this game? Uh, the MSRP is about 40 bucks, and it can be found at hobby stores and online. Okay, if you have thoughts about The Last Spike, we would love to hear from you. Give us a shout. We are Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And before we leave, Rob, do you have anything upcoming that you want to mention? Uh, sure. I've got one thing, and, and you all are the first to hear about it. Ooh. So as, as many people know, I've been taking a little bit of a break from Upon's perspective just to kind of get my head together and, and reorganize and, and create a lineup of things that are working uh, and getting rid of things that don't. Uh, well, one of the things I'm getting more into is video, as I have been. Uh, but I will be starting a new live stream. So I've been live streaming once a week on the Kickstarter Board Games Facebook group doing Token Talk, uh, which is a show about Kickstarter curb appeal. But I will also be starting a late night show, um, which I haven't really come up with the title. It'll probably be Late Night with the Pawn or something stupid like that. Um, cool. It will be... It will be slightly more adult-oriented, and not adult as in, like, adult games. Uh, just um, a little bit more of, of real Rob talk and a little bit less of, of family-friendly, upon's perspective, Rob talk. Sure. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, I'll have guests, we'll talk about games, and it'll just be a little bit more unscripted, um, a little bit less for ears uh, of the younger variety. That sounds like a lot of fun. When do you think this is going to launch? I'm hoping in the next few weeks. I want to make sure I, I get it launched properly. I want to make sure I've got a good lineup. Uh, and I kind of want to push through some, some silly little teaser ads that I've created uh, through social media first. Awesome. And they can find it through Upon's Perspective. Correct. Cool. That is cool. We look forward to seeing it. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks and content about our show, click on support our show at our website, which game first. If you get a chance, leave us a review on Apple podcasts. It really helps others find the show. Join our chat on our Discord server, Which Game First, and our Patreon supporters get access to exclusive channels. Follow us on your favorite social media. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Rob, thanks again for joining us. Happy gaming, explorers. Sayonara. Thanks for having me. Take care, everyone, and head to your local Blight Lord for recruiting offices. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Next time you find yourself growing grim about the mouth. Next time. It is a damp, drizzly November when your soul break out of board game.